Hello and welcome to this, the sixth episode of The Road to Net Zero, a podcast from the Advanced Propulsion Centre. My name is Clem Silverman and we're continuing to highlight some of the APC's hydrogen projects. Just to mention that the interviews you're listening to here are longer versions of the case studies you can find on our website and YouTube channel, so go check those out if you can. This week, transport and energy journalist David James is with Intelligent Energy, a company looking to commercialise its hydrogen fuel cell technology and is working with a UK-based consortium on a collaborative research and development project called ESTA to develop a cost-effective and efficient supply chain for fuel cell vehicles. My name is David James. For this interview, I travelled to Loughborough to meet Ashley Kells, Programme Director for Intelligent Energy, who are in the process of developing hydrogen fuel cells for mass production in the automotive sector. Intelligent Energy, I've seen a lot about you guys working with aerospace, drones, etc. Just tell us about your automotive ambitions. So I've actually worked on automotive ever since the business was formed. So actually the company was formed as a spin-out from Loughborough University back in sort of 2001 and that was based on uh, work that was originally carried out in the automotive department. So automotive's kind of really in the DNA of the organisation. Where we are at the moment is we're taking our technology from sort of concepts, ones off, twos off, which have worked really, really well. We've had vehicles running around at the 2012 Olympics, for example, carrying dignitaries around for that event. And now it's all about sort of taking that technology and producing it in the thousands, tens of thousands, and ultimately the hundreds of thousands. So that's the journey we're on now. It's that productionization aspect of it. So just really being able to repeat it with quality control and getting the robustness and reliability right up there in the sort of world-class arena so that we can yeah, scale up and, and manufacture those products. I mean, certainly the social, economic and political conditions have changed in terms of net zero is right at the top of the political agenda, the people's agenda. But is there a reason why hydrogen's accelerating now? Or, or do you think it's the other bits that are, are changing what's going on? A lot of money's been put into things like batteries, particularly on automotive, which is great. And that's obviously really helping to contribute to, uh, to achieving some of the targets, but it's not a silver bullet. So if you think about things such as truck and bus market, Batteries are just a real challenge for them because of the mass and the size, whereas fuel cells, they really provide a, a, a sort of clean solution for those types of applications. And also the fueling times are very quick. It's comparable to a petrol or a diesel, which people are used to. And if you think about truck and bus and commercial vehicles, that really does make a difference. You know, if you've got to charge something up for hours and hours and hours and hours, A, it's a lot of energy and B, it's quite a significant infrastructure. So there's some complications there. And then in terms of passenger cars, there's other, other kind of benefits where fuel cells can really come into their own, particularly in cold climatic areas. So maybe not so much in UK, but kind of places where it's typically below minus 10, minus 15, minus 20 degrees. Batteries kind of struggle at low temperatures. They really do struggle, whereas fuel cells have got a bit more of an opportunity there to uh, to kind of break into that into that market. And again, with passenger cars, even though battery technology has really come on leaps and bounds, some really fantastic technology there, it still does take time to charge a vehicle. Um, and your range is somewhat limited. Whereas again, with a passenger car that's based on hydrogen, your fueling time is very similar to turning up at a normal 
garage now, sort of three minutes, four minutes, that sort of time. And that will give you a sort of three, 400 mile range. So it does feel like hydrogen's time has come, as it were. You've been working with the Advanced Propulsion Centre on a project called ESTA. Just explain a little bit about yeah, the project. Sure, yeah. So ESTA is a collaboration between Intelligent Energy, we're developing fuel cell technology and really pulling our supply chain forward and getting to a position where we can manufacture in those kind of hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of, of units that I talked about. We're also working with Alexander Dennis, the bus company, sort of the biggest bus company in UK in terms of kind of finding solutions for, for hydrogen for, for their products. And we also work with Chang'an UK R&D Centre, who are kind of the, the R&D centre from Chang'an in China. So again, it's looking at that market over there in terms of passenger cars and kind of what that can really mean to us from UK to supply into that market. We've also got a partner, Lyra Electronics, who are developing DC-DC converters or so power electronics to kind of help bridge the, the fuel cell to vehicle um, kind of transition, if you like, in terms of that power management. What's the benefits of getting to scale? What, what are we trying to achieve? Yeah, so in terms of uh, the benefits of scale, it's really, there's kind of a number of reasons really for doing that. There's cost is one. And when we drive costs down, particularly when you think about bus and truck market, it's all about how much does it cost to move a passenger from A to B? How much does it cost to move a bag of rice from A to B? Blah, 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 blah. You can only get those costs to be kind of where they need to be to make it correct for a consumer through volume. And that going on that journey helps bring that cost down. And also increasing life of our products as well means that the vehicles last longer and you get more efficiency, for example, which means that all that kind of cost really comes down. And once you get, once you start hitting those points, it then makes commercial sense for to, to sort of roll out those uh, those products without subsidies. Clearly, there are early stages where you can subsidize some of that work, but in the long term, it needs to be cost competitive. And again, that's kind of the journey that we're on is to really take ourselves forward, bring the supply chain forward and really bring down that cost curve so that we can really challenge commercially and make business sense. And it does make business sense. That's the difference. It's not just kind of it will always survive with government subsidies, yes, we'll need those kind of to get us moving, but it really does by scaling, it gets us to a point where it can stand on its own two feet and be uh, kind of, you know, viable from a commercial perspective. What kind of technical challenges does it represent? The difference between doing a groundbreaking prototype to a production ready commercial offering? Yeah, it's kind of it's a number of challenges, really. I think you've got challenges right back to supply chain. so choosing which suppliers, whereas you could choose a sort of girl whittling something in a shed for a one-off or a two-off. When it comes to scale up, you really need you really need supply chain that have got robust processes that match our processes, that they can produce things in the volume, that their material supply is at that level. So kind of working with supply chain causes, causes challenges and a lot of time and effort to bring them along that journey with us. Um, in terms of us here, yeah, it's a similar thing as well in terms of changing our processes to make sure that our quality control mechanisms, our end of line testing, our facilities for manufacture, that they're all in line with the customer's tax time so that we can produce things repeatably, reliably, robustly that can satisfy our customer's requirements. What challenges does it make to create a supply chain in a brand new industry. It'd be very different if you were building diesel engines. Yeah, it is a challenge. And it's to some extent, it's kind of this classic chicken and egg where you've got to try and convince supply chain to do some investment and move forward, but the market's not necessarily there. 
So it really kind of helps getting support from places like APC and the government because they see that as a seal of approval. So that's the sort of, that's where really the tangible benefit of working in these collaborations really comes into the, into the, to the fore. So yeah, it's definitely a challenge bringing people along and it's more kind of the motivation. Talk about things like net zero, that does help when people in the wider context, in the political arena and so on and so forth, talk about hydrogen and fuel cells, people become aware of it, you know, CEOs or managing directors of supply chain become aware of it. And then it makes it easier for us to have conversations and kind of bring them on that, bring those people on that journey uh, with us. Obviously people are very keen to say, well, let the market deal with it. And I know we're talking technical rather than, than, than commercial in this conversation, but what would it look like, I guess, from a technical point of view, trying to build this thing without the APC or somebody like that actually adding some money at this stage? Yeah, it'd be really challenging for us, to be honest. Um, it's kind of a big, it's a big effort to just financially is one thing to kind of make the numbers work. So that does help us for sure. I think if we weren't to do it, oh, Without APC, it would be, I don't think we'd be doing what we're doing now, if I'm absolutely honest. Um, one of the benefits that working with under something like the APC brings is there's things that money can't buy, actually. So if you think about the expertise that customers such as Alexander Dennis and Chang An bring to the party, the requirements that they want us to work towards, they kind of pull us forward. And without this relationship, we'd never be able to do that. We'd never be able to, again, it's this chicken and egg that I talked about before you'd never be able to get a customer because you wouldn't have something that meets the requirements or the knowledge. So working in this collaborative framework enables us to, to get ready for, I guess, real customers and real scaling. And you just can't buy that really. So it's really great that kind of APC and these collaborative relationships kind of are pulled together to, to help everybody. So yeah, massive difference to us, massive difference to us. And at the moment, as realistically, but as hopeful as you can be, what does the future look like now that you've, got some APC funding. Yeah, yeah, so for us, I mean, the project runs until October 23, so we've kind of got just under two years to run. Within sort of this calendar year, we'll have product going out to early stage customers. That's our heavy duty product. That's really, it's not, not sales. Again, this is kind of pre-sales to get all that information, to learn about supplying into these markets, learn about how to deal with integration and so on and so forth. And then beyond APC, that's when we start to scale. And ultimately, it's scaling up into the thousands, the tens of thousands, and then beyond there into passenger car, and we can be up at sort of hundreds of thousands in the sort of 2030s timeframe. We've also got uh, spillover benefits into aerospace. So into our aerospace market, that's another huge area that's really looking at zero emissions. And again, there's some challenges with batteries because of the mass where fuel cells come into the into the really into the mix and that's a, that our automotive by sort of setting our foundations on automotive level that enables us to get into into that market as well so again beyond esther it's it's sales into automotive in truck bus market passenger car and also a springboard into aerospace which is on a much longer time frame but still could be hugely beneficial now there's obviously a chunk of taxpayers money involved in this what, what do you see as the return on investment for the british taxpayer yeah, there's a few, a few kind of real key benefits for this. Jobs created is one and safeguarded in UK. And that's in kind of two fronts, really. There's the skill and knowledge around fuld cells that, you know, kind of IE has been around since 
2000 um, and kind of beyond that, you know, right into the university days, so we've got a lot of history that we've brought with us. Uh, so securing that in UK is really quite important. And then secondly, creating jobs to manufacture fuel cells is something that, yeah, we're really keen to do in, in UK and actually in the Midlands is where we'd really like to do it. Uh, build a gigafactory and kind of employ people to, to build fuel cells and not, you know, sort of steal a march on the rest of the world, really. So rather than have to uh, rely on importing technology, we'll be building it here, manufacturing it here. So jobs is one thing and clearly the revenue that comes with that is is another aspect as well so they're really the benefits of of this securing ip and jobs i would say are the two key ones and clearly if we've got zero emission technology in uk it does have the benefits of net zero and so on and so forth because we're looking for uk customers to take our product and then really make a difference kind of on the streets for yeah refuse collection trucks buses and ultimately passenger cars just, just talk about a fuel cell. What, what actually is it? We all kind of talk about it like we know yeah. what it is, but what is it? How does it work? Yeah, so fuel cell is an electrochemical device that converts the energy carried in hydrogen into electricity with a byproduct of water and heat. So your only byproduct, really, your emission is, is water. Pretty, pretty benign. Um, so in terms of what we do here, we, we manufacture, design and manufacture fuel cell or products may built around that core fuel cell technology. Now, in terms of the technology, you have a fuel cell stack, which is where the kind of clever electrochemistry takes place. Then you've also got valves, control systems, pumps that support it. That's the balancer plant. We also manufacture the kind of system around the fuel cell stack to create kind of an overall system where you've got hydrogen in electricity out and then we manage the heat ourselves we manage the water ourselves and in terms of intelligent energy on our automotive space we've got a proprietary way of cooling the fuel cell stack so typically competitors global competitors they would cool the fuel cell stack using a glycol cooling loop so similar to your kind of internal combustion engine uh, where you've got a header tank and a radiator and some glycol and you pump it around and it, it all cools very nicely. What that means is that inside the fuel cell, you've got to have space to allow the glycol to pump around. That means the stack is kind of slightly bigger. What we do at Intelligent Energy is we've got a proprietary evaporative cooled technology where we inject liquid water directly into the fuel cell. There's no space for this cooling. It's basically injected straight onto where the electrochemistry is taking place, where the reaction's taking place. When it hits the warm, cell the water evaporates and in that phase change we remove the heat that way what that means is we've got reduced component count smaller fuel cells simpler balance of plant ultimately it means smaller lighter cheaper when we get into that full scale so that's what we're achieving in this project is realizing those benefits to get something that's more power dense say lighter and ultimately cheaper so where does that water come from so the water, you kind of put it in when you, when you start the fuel cell. So you put a bit in to start with, that gets you going. And then because the fuel cell generates water itself, it recovers it itself and just reuses it. So when you go to the garage and fill it with hydrogen, you don't fill it with water as well. No, no, no. You just, every service, every sort of 20,000 miles or whatever, you might change it. But as a user, you don't really care. It's just, you just fill it with hydrogen, it goes and it recovers the water itself, takes care of itself. The criticism of 
hydrogen fuel cells is they're not that efficient. What is it that, about efficiency? What, what are the limitations on efficiency on a fuel cell? It, it depends on what you're, what you're referencing, I guess, when you say about efficiency. Um, so in terms of the ultimate efficiency of a fuel cell, they're sort of 50 to 60% efficient. And if you look at, say, an internal combustion engine, what are you down at? I guess 15, 20%, maybe something like that. So compared to that, a lot more efficient. I think when people talk about efficiency, they're talking about uh, well to wheel. So where the electricity is generated to, to use on a battery vehicle compared to generating electricity, which then is used to from an electrolysis to generate hydrogen, which is then used in a fuel cell, that is less efficient. But if you think about in terms of how that um, hydrogen is generated, if you use curtailed wind, so when a wind farm would normally be free spinning or sur there's surplus uh, electricity on the grid, typically you can't store electricity in that format. You either pump it up a hill and use it as hydroelectric or you can generate hydrogen. So actually in that scenario, you're getting your hydrogen for free. So your efficiency actually is, is, is very, very high in that sense. Uh, the other thing to think about is with batteries, think about batteries if there is that, if that is where the kind of question really stems from. Think about the recyclability of batteries it causes a massive, massive challenge. You know, there's companies really struggling to do that. Fuel cells, you don't have that challenge. It's metal. Yes, there's a bit of catalyst on there, but you can strip that out things are recyclable. It's a lot easier to manage on a kind of cradle to grave aspect to an overall efficiency perspective and an overall environmental impact. You know, it's much more beneficial. So yeah, it's quite a tough one, um, you know, but I think actually when you look at the kind of different options of where the, the, the hydrogen is generated, it really does make sense from, a, from an efficiency perspective. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this interview. To find out more about hydrogen transport and the work of the Advanced Propulsion Centre in supporting low carbon mobility, visit apcuk.co.uk.